Can I have my welcome to Michelle's? It's brilliant to have you here uh, with us. Uh, my name is Tim Chilvers, one of the leaders here at Riverside, and it is a joy to welcome you, particularly if this is your first time here. You are very welcome amongst us. Uh, we, if you haven't gathered by now, uh, we are Riverside. Meeting, we're one church, but meeting in different locations. So we've got the Bourneville gathering here, but right now at the same time, there's also well, a gathering about to start in Mosley, and another one has already finished this morning as well. So if you want to know more about Riverside, do grab one of these booklets on your way out at the welcome point. We'd love to chat further uh, with you. It's fitting, isn't it, that today uh, we begin this new series uh, looking at the book of Ruth. And we begin with a story that is full of tragedy. Full of tragedy. Because we live in uncertain times, don't we? If we can have that first slide up, please. Uncertain times in which we don't know where the road leads. And for many people in Paris and across France and around the world, in situations that we know in the news and situations we don't see in our news, people are grieving deeply, deeply saddened and in pain by what is happening in our world. And on an international scale, the future is uncertain, isn't it? And yet, around this room right now, this morning, on a big personal scale for many of us, the future is uncertain. We don't know what is around the corner. If we walk the path we're going on, we don't know where that leads. What does the future hold? And in this book of Ruth that we're beginning today for the next few weeks, we're faced with an amazing story that shows how a variety of normal people faced the future, when it was really uncertain what they did, when life deals you a blow that you didn't expect, we see different people how they reacted to it. And it's a brilliant story. If you've never read the story of Ruth, it is a cracker. It's a story full of love, relationships, death, family, sex, responsibilities, identity, chock full of cracking, cracking narrative. So do read it if you've never read it. And in many respects, this book of Ruth is both a window and a mirror for us. It is a mirror because in the story of Ruth, we see ourselves, we see normal people going about their normal lives, frail, weak humans, trying to cope trying to juggle with all that life throws at them. In many respects, the story of Ruth is our story. It's a mirror for us as we read it, we see ourselves. But it is also a window for us, because in this story we not only see ourselves, but we look through this story and see something of God, see something of how the God who is in all of this, as in in control of all of this, how he works and how he has a plan even for weak, frail, messed up people like me and you. This story is our story, this story is God's story. And this plan is a plan that we can never predict. So let's get stuck into it, shall we? Uh, and we're gonna start fittingly right at the beginning. Verse one, chapter one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Now, and, and, uh, whether you read the Bible regularly or not, these are the bits we kind of skip over, aren't they, until we get to the meat of the story. 
in the days when the judges rule, yeah, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Uh, but it gives us an historical background that is really important for all of us over the next few weeks. You see, this story is set in history in a dark time for God's people. It is the days when the judges ruled. And if you know anything about the Bible, if you've got your Bible, you might have a look at the end of the previous book in the Bible. And the previous book in the Bible is called Judges. And so if you want to know what the days of the judges was like, why not read Judges? And the end of that book, the very last words of the book of Judges say this. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. And if those aren't words that summarize our time, I don't know what they are. Everyone did as they saw fit. And so when we read Ruth 1 verse 1 in the days when the judges ruled, we know this is a desperate time for God's people with uncertainty all around. They don't know where the road leads. And in that context, it gets even worse. Not only is there darkness in the way they're living, but there was famine in the land. The time of the judges is a very desperate time. Uh, and if you think the Bible is boring, Read the book of Judges. There's some cracking 18-rated stories in there, if ever there's any, with people getting stabbed and they're so fat that they lose the dagger in their belly and all those kind of things. Interesting stories, not for kids. In that time, a famine takes place. In the time when God's people have done their own way rather than following God's way, there is devastation. And in that context, we meet a family so a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. And we see his name, well done Ellen for reading all those names, Elimelech and Kilion and Ephaphrites and all that sort of stuff. In uncertain times, one man takes his family in search of food. It's ironic, by the way, that the name Bethlehem, where they're from, means house of bread. And because God's people have turned away from God, there is no bread in Bethlehem. But, but, we see something very clear in these verses. Do you notice the contrast? Twice in the opening words of this book. They were from Bethlehem, he takes them to Moab. They lived in Bethlehem, they go to Moab. Making a very, very clear point right at the beginning of this book. They move out of their home, out of God's people, away from where they belong to a different country with different gods to escape their danger. Now, it's easy for us to skip over this, and today we might not make such a big deal out of it, but time and time and time again, God's people are warned about following other gods. God's people are warned about walking away from God's people and settling down in places with other gods where they will start following their practices and their gods. The people of Moab in the Bible do not get a good rep. They were a people who were started through an incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughter. And even though they're geographically very close, they are a million miles away spiritually. 
with terrible things happening in Moab. In other words, Elimelech takes his family out of what he sees as danger into a situation where he sees the possibility of hope and he thinks it'll be fine, but in reality, it is the most dangerous thing he can do. Look at verse three. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. She's left with her own two sons. And then what do we read? After they'd lived there 10 years, both sons also die. Elimelech ripped his family out of home where they belong into a new place with different gods doing all sorts of terrible things. And now the family is broken. And I think it's worth just flagging this up because I think the first lesson for us in this story of Ruth is this. Sometimes the safe choice, in inverted commas, is sometimes much too dangerous. There was Elimelech facing a real uncertain future. And as God's people, he will have known where he should have been. He should have been with God's people following God. Instead, he takes his family far away from that for what he sees as apparent rescue. He would have known that wasn't a good call. In other words, he elevates his own wisdom above God's wisdom. He chooses the obviously, apparently safe choice, but actually it is a very dangerous choice. And I think this is important for us today. There are plenty of ways in our society that we as God's people might be tempted to do this. Let me give some examples. We might be thinking about a new job. We've been offered a new job in a new city and the job seems a, ma a fantastic job and we go there, we uproot and take everything with us and we forget to check out if there's any decent churches in that place. And so we go for what seems to be a wise choice and we forget what's really crucial along the way. Or maybe we're thinking about the future and we spend so much time planning on investments and stocks and shares and our finances and our pensions and all that sort of stuff that ever so subtly our eyes begin to shift away from God being the source of our certainty and hope onto our bank balance being the source of our certainty and hope. And over the years, just very subtly, our passion for God begins to ebb and flow. It seems safe, it seems sensible, but actually along the way we lose our first love. Or for some of us who are single, we, 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 we find a partner who we know is not on the same wavelength of us spiritually. And it seems a no-brainer, we get on well, and yet deep down we know that our heart is beginning to go where they go, away from our God. I have a friend of mine who uh, was doing very well in his job, was offered a new job, which seemed a brilliant promotion, great step up, advancing, you know, all that kind of stuff, going through the career ladder. And this job made him travel more, made him work harder, did more hours. He did well in the job, but what happened was he began to spend less time with his wife, couldn't get as involved in church, and gradually over the years, what happened is his heart for God began to wane. It seemed a no-brainer in the beginning. New job, brilliant. But sometimes this apparent safe choice can be very dangerous. Can I encourage us all to be open about this? There may be some of us here are facing decisions 
And deep down, we're excited about the potential of this decision, but we know we haven't really factored God into it. There's some warnings right at the beginning of this story of Ruth about this. So the story continues. Naomi's family is in ruins and she's left in a different place on her own with these two daughters-in-law. And we read on verse six and seven. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. Do you notice the contrast, by the way? God's provided at home as opposed to where they have been living. See that contrast? The writer's making it really clear. Moab is not their home with God's people where they knew all along they could have been, is home. And so she decides to go back. This broken, desperate woman lost her husband, lost her sons in a land where they worship other gods. She wants to go home. And so she insists that they go, but she insists that these two girls, Orpah and Ruth, go back to their home. After all, they were born and bred in Moab. They're Moabites. And Orpah agrees, but Ruth, the plucky Ruth, doesn't. And we get these amazing words in verse 16 and 17 when Ruth defends herself. And we begin to see right at the beginning of this book that she is a special woman. And already our interest is peaking. Who is this Ruth? Look at what she says, verse 16. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God, where you die, I'll die. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. She's a fighter, isn't she? And so they head back to Bethlehem, the two of them. And I want to focus just for a moment on Naomi, and then we're going to focus on Ruth before I come to a close. Think about Naomi for a moment. Think about what she's gone through. In those days, the husband would have been the breadwinner providing for all of that. And not only has her husband died, now that her sons have died, she faces an uncertain future. The road goes in a direction she has no idea. She's been through immeasurable suffering, huge difficulties. And the truth is in this book of Ruth, as we go through, it can be easy to forget that God is there all along. Let's look at what she says in verse 19. As she gets back, people talk to her and she talks about her name. Don't call me Naomi, verse 20. Call me Mara because the Almighty's made my life really bitter. I went away full, but the Lord's brought me back empty. When she gets home, she knows that this journey to Moab has been desperately painful for her. And I want to just flag up there that I think those verses, for those of us in this room who are going through difficult times, are immensely hopeful. Because it highlights for us that Christianity is not some sort of escapism. 
not some sort of wishing away suffering, ignoring the realities, the brutal realities that happen on our streets in our own lives. Christianity is brutal and upfront about the reality of pain and suffering in our lives. And I think we don't do any favors in church if we try to ignore it. Here is Naomi saying, my life is a mess. But as we'll see, God is in the habit of redeeming the messiest of circumstances. And for Naomi, God is God in the good times and the bad. You see, in one sense, God is silent in this opening chapter, and yet he is everywhere. Verse eight, may the Lord show you kindness. Verse nine, may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest. Verse 13 to 20 and 21 talks about all that God has done in terms of afflictions. Even in the darkest of storms, in the oceans, in the waves, we sang earlier, didn't we, those words? And I will call upon your name, keep my eyes above the waves when ocean rise. God is God in the good times and in the bad. Naomi never, never doubts God's presence even though she hasn't got the faintest idea what he's doing. And I want to suggest to us, if we are in the middle of desperate situations, this truth doesn't explain everything, but it gives the only hope that is possible. If God is not in control, there is no hope. If God is behind all of this, holding us, even though we cannot see what on earth is going on, even though Naomi would have the faintest idea why God, she knows that God is still God, and therefore there is hope. And to whet your appetite for the end, you might want to flick forward to chapter 4, verse 14, as we read these beautiful words. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. God has a habit of redeeming the most broken and messiest circumstances, even for you and for me. In fact, things for Naomi turn out far more amazing than she would ever have dreamed. <laughs> and it affects you and I today. So can I encourage you, if you're going through really dark times at the moment where the waves are unbearably big, the solution is not to walk away from God because actually he's the one who holds us in the first place. So we learn something powerful from Naomi, but then we also learn something powerful from Ruth. Let's go back to those verses again. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. This is a hugely risky thing for to do. She's basically saying, I'm turning my back on all that I have known to follow your God and your way and your people. There's something attractive in these people of God that she wants part of, even calling God by his Hebrew name. This is an immensely risky thing to do, but it is a risky thing that's worth doing. And this is the story for many of us here some of us have left comfortable lives to follow Christ. Some of us are following Christ even though the circumstances in our life 
mean that all our friends are saying, why on earth are you following this God who's just done this to you? Some of us have turned our backs on family for the sake of a future with Christ. Some of us have put careers on hold because we want to be obedient to God. Some of us have taken bold steps in putting our family first rather than our own sense of self-satisfaction because we're followers of Christ. If you're anything like me, it can be really easy to live with our foot in Moab and our foot in Bethlehem. And I think the reminder of this story is that Bethlehem, even though it may not be straightforward, is home, is where we belong, following God's way with God's people in God's place. If you're anything like me, it can be easy, can't it, to seek comfort and success and status in the things that we can easily tangibly see rather than trusting in the God who holds our future in his hands. I have a friend who is a single woman, was a single woman, and she did what her family thought was utterly bonkers. She left a comfortable job in this country, doing very well in her career, to move to India to set up, to buy a house, to set up a home for three, four prostitutes. She went knowing nothing. She went with a plan, with a dream. Her family thought it was bonkers. And while she was there, she saw lives beyond lives changed, transformed. She met her husband, (laughs) seeing God do amazing things, all because she took a risk to follow Christ. Just like Ruth, where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. And so can I encourage us, as we get to the end of this chapter, it ends on a cliffhanger. The cliffhanger is this, we've got people turning to Bethlehem, people who are desperate, without food, refugees in a sense, nothing. And we read these tantalizing words, luring us on to read on. (coughs) They arrive in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. And we begin to wonder, what's this barley harvest gonna provide? Who's it gonna provide? Who will be in all of this? Will God ever rescue these broken people? Read on or come next week if you want to know more. But I wonder for us, maybe for some of us there's encouragement this morning that we know that we face choices and God's way is actually the safest way even though it may apparently be risky. For others of us, We feel broken, desperate, barren. Our lives are in a mess. We're devastated by grief or emptiness. And God is simply saying, there is always a home for you. So can I invite us to stand? Please stand. And it may be that there is one thing that from these opening words that have connected with you, something that has landed on you. Something that you think, yeah.
And in a moment, what we're going to do is the band are going to lead us. And I'm going to provide the opportunity. We're going to encourage people to head to the back, head to, for prayer. It may be that for some of us, we know the choices we face have prompted all sorts of things. And we simply want somebody to stand with us and just ask for God's perspective on it all. Well, for others of us, we know that what life's thrown at us is pretty unbearable. And yet this morning, we've seen something of hope. Maybe somebody would simply stand with you and pray with you this morning. So Father, may we be people who call upon your name when the waves rise, when the storm is raging around us, Lord God, when the future is uncertain, may we be people who cling on to you even though we don't know where that road leads. Lord, you're the God of eternity. Lord, we know that the future with you is safer even though it may be full of risks because it's with you, the one who holds the future in your hands. So even now, Father, by your spirit, would you be doing your work, bedding it in, Lord God, showing us, speaking to us what that means for us in our lives, Father. May we realize that the bravest thing to do is actually to just cling on to you.